Welcome to the Makom Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Enterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Uh, hunkered down in my, uh, in my little office in my house. Yep, this is a Zoom episode, and also here with, via Zoom, Benji Davis. How are you, Benji? I am social distancing. <laughs> I'm always a little you're, bit social distancing, so this is just making it clear. Yeah, you seem a little too close to the uh, computer there, Benji. <laughs> well, I want you to hear me. Yeah, we're trying to get good, uh, good, the best audio we can under these circumstances. So I think everyone understands that at this time, we're going to be doing episodes by Zoom. And we won't be up to our normal Ben-engineered uh, standard of excellence, but it is what it is. Well, maybe they uh, don't. Maybe because if they're outside of Israel, they maybe don't know that we've been told to basically stay in our houses if we don't have to go out. We can work from home to work from home. Okay, so let's start with that. I want to get to the political stalemate and how coronavirus is affecting that. But can we briefly go over, that's our main topic, but can we briefly go over what Israel is doing, the rules that Israel has implemented thus far? Where are we? Um, So I think that that's the major the major change in the last couple of days has been that basically that basically we've been told if you don't have to go out, don't go out, stay in your house. If you can work from home, work from home. And, um, and if you must go somewhere, in other words, if you have to go to work, so workplaces have to be less than 10, 10 people or less. Um, and you have to have social distancing, which means there has to be enough space in those places that you're two meters apart from people. It's about six feet. About six feet, as a saying, right? In other places, and if you and uh, you can go to supermarkets and essential needs, but again, be careful to keep that social distancing um, in effect. But I think the big change is really basically stay in your house unless otherwise, unless absolutely necessary, otherwise. And also, of course, it means in terms of essential jobs, in terms of people going out to work, they're talking about. So I think something like about seventy percent of the workforce is not going out to work and we're you know we can't even begin to foresee the economic fallout of this is going to be enormous yeah well look the economic fallout is already huge there's five thousand people an hour registering on the unemployment yeah um, it's overwhelming i think israelis will be 30 percent unemployed in the very near future um, yeah. and in, in like you know uh lots of people are putting getting put on um vacation without uh, pay, leave without pay. That's what my wife and my son are on now. But they can um, get unemployment benefits. So they get unemployment benefits, but again, it, it, it's very, I mean, hopefully they will get them, but the process to get them is not so, you know, they're trying to streamline, streamline but, you're talking about, but you're still talking about, you know, tons of people, bureaucracy, getting a letter from your work, getting the, and it's like, and of course with the work to the employers, are trying to do this for everybody. So they're backed up because also they're gone down on, you know, right. minimal. The other big thing that affects many of our listeners is Israel has barred all entry to the country for non-citizens. Yeah, that happened last night. Yeah. Oh, the and tra- the other ones were interesting because the other ones were like, okay, at this date, this is going to happen. All of a sudden, it just says, uh, announced that so loud into the country. What if you own property, though? So, like, I own a property in Israel, and I want to come for Pesach, and I'll quarantine myself, and I can't go to that property that I own. 
No, right? because I believe you cannot because the question is, uh, for first of all, there's, yeah, there's tour, they're tourists. And they said, even if you can self quarantine, in other words, Mike, you were, you were, uh, very, we, we know we don't like to predict, but you predicted in your situation. Yeah. Uh, when you told, told your mom to come quick, right? Um, yeah, I had her move up her flight because I foresaw this. Yeah, this was inevitable. Yeah. Um, and because it's not just about the quarantining, what they're, what I'm sure that they're worried about, even though they didn't say that much, but it's about taking, you know, the health care, meaning they don't want to be responsible for, you know, uh, non citizens, let's say. Of course, if they're in right. the country already and they're allowed to stay here, they will be, but they don't want to add to that, I assume, as part of the, a big part of the, the, the reason why they decided that. Yeah, um, and that's so, you know that's certainly affecting a lot of our students and, and travel in general is uh, yeah it, it's it's certainly an unusual unnerving time yes that everyone's I mean, having trouble wrapping their heads around that will have massive ramifications for human right. civilization moving forward. Maybe we should give a quick update just very personally on our you know like the gap year world. Yeah, well, I mean, you have most of the gap year institutions have basically shut down. Some of them are moving to uh, having Zoom classes, and some aren't. I think those are the yeah. two. Those are the two groups, really. Yeah, pretty much. The ones that I think are more, you know, again, focusing on the Zoom for two reasons are one is those who want to get college credit, mm -hmm. and some that are just trying to keep their, you know, schedules the going. Alive. Yeah. 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 I understand yeah. both approaches. Yep. One of my. Um schools i'm um, it's kind of at the teacher's initiative um to yeah. keep the zoom class going uh, so i did it with oh. like one school the other day we had like five students and then i asked them okay like can we do this again next week same time they're like yeah sounds great i would um, say for me personally it feels great to do a class on a non-coronavirus subject and just for you know 45 minutes an hour <laughs> Just pretend to, you know, go go to something that feels normal. It's yeah, hard to get uh, them to transition, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get used to it. Right. Well, yeah. just as it becomes the new normal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Normal is. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even know Can if we're going to be able to use the word normal. Like, I think things are going to be shifty and changey, and uh, it's it's this is a complicated one. Right. Can we bring up this question? I don't know if we were supposed to talk about it, but we talked about it earlier before we were recording about um, the fact that now Jews are no longer allowed to come to the state of Israel, not as a dictate of some evil empire, but by the Jewish state itself. And does that does it mean, mean anything? What does it mean for a Jew in the diaspora that the state of Israel has barred their entry? Right, exactly. Does that mean anything or is it just... No, all countries are closing their borders. There's just no travel. Stop like asking questions that don't matter. That's kind of where I'm at with that. And I'm not sure which way to go. As in, Israel is just a normal state that's barring travel for non-citizens? Or was Israel supposed to be a state for the ingathering of the exiles? And you literally just said, nah, not right now. Uh, well, the question is, will that have ramifications on Jewish identity in the diaspora or just you know, what does that mean going forward? Or is this just an, uh, an isolated, weird blip where travel internationally has been suspended? And so it really doesn't have ramifications for the Zionist idea of uh, well, for all Jews. I think, I mean, I just want to maybe contrast it or, I don't know, 
you know, yesterday Israel sent basically an airlift for Israeli citizens who are in Peru, right? There were about a thousand Israeli citizens or something in Peru, and they sent like planes, El Al, to fly them to fly them back to Israel, right? So it's Israel's going out, go as we know Israel goes a far extent for its citizens um, when it can, and we kind of always argue well. Jews are expats, you know, they're, they're kind of citizens who haven't really just filled out the, the forms yet. Well, so, but now they're saying, okay, those expats are going to have to wait till this kind of blows over to, to come back in. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just a blip really, but you know. Well, it, it is, it is when you, in, in conception, that's an interesting distinction that hasn't really manifested itself before where Israel is treating citizens and Jews who aren't citizens as different when it comes to danger. But I, I, I understand conceptually why that, that is unnerving in terms of Israel's mission. But I do think that this is a blip. I, I, to me, it's sort of like, you know, oh, I, I was ill on Yom Kippur, so I ate on Yom Kippur. Yes, that's an exception to the rule because there's a crisis. It doesn't mean that I've, I've devalued Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur's meaning has changed. I think it's an emergency adjustment. But conceptually, it is an interesting moment that Israel is making a distinction between Jews who are citizens and Jews who aren't citizens. Right. Okay, in politics? A, in a, yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, without any intelligent or meaningful or smooth segue, uh, what is going on? We know that we know that Israeli. We've discussed often in the past that that the Knesset elections does not end. You know, nobody wins at the end of the Knesset election. Somebody has to form uh, uh, a, 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 a. Why am I blanking on the word? Coalition, coalition. of coalition. A, Yeah, coalition big enough of sixty-one seats in the Knesset to make a government. So far, the president has offered the blue and white party the right to form that coalition because we, can anyone explain this because it, it would yeah. they would be able to create a minority government that would be no. chosen no that's not why the reason is because they got more recommendations than bb 61 to 58 yeah. 61, yeah, 61 recommenders to form a government so Reuven Rivlin went on precedent. He got more recommenders. I'm going to hand the baton over to Benny Gantz uh, to see if he can form a government. That's, that's it. How, right. That, now, without that's how could, the game works. That's how the game works. That is, By the way, I just want to point. Works. I would like to also point out that la, like in last time when we were talking about politics right after the election with Rachel, and we pointed out, even though there was a lot of uh, premature celebration by the right-wing uh, parties. Um, it was clear that they didn't have, you know, the 60. Um, and in fact, that's exactly what happened. And now blue and white uh, is getting the chance to form the government. But of course, they also don't have a coalition because their 61 include the 15 from the Arab parties who at best will support from the outside, meaning that it will be a minority government with a outside support of 15. So it means we're talking 46 in the well, coalition maybe, and then 15 outside. Maybe and, that's of even, those six, Lieberman joins it. Right. That's but six. Also, right, exactly. Uh, who's right. A, uh, a random factor. 
Yeah. No, but um, and, and you don't even need support from right. the outside. As in, all they need is sixty. Is they need um, if the joint list supports um, this government uh, to exist, then as the government can never pass any bills, but the only way for the government to be toppled is if 61 vote to topple it. So you'll have a government that can't get any legislation done that is relatively stable because it's, you're going to have to get everybody to get rid of it, but it can't really do much. Right, and the Arabs would then have to somehow work with the right-wing bloc to then topple the government, and the whole reason the Arabs voted in this government was to get rid of the Likud-led, BB-led um, government in the first place um and then maybe you'll get some sort of uh you know compromises where the the zionist part of that that anti-bb block or the coalition and will throw some bones to the to the arab parties and things they want to achieve and maybe some uh policies with regards to the palestinians or just you know the status quo with regards to the west bank and the temple mount which is what we've heard they've talked about and in return uh, the joint list will vote for things to change issues of religion and state, which all the Lieberman, Labor, Blue and White all agree on. So maybe they will work together. Uh, it definitely seems that it, it could work. Um, but now we're in this emergency of this world pandemic. Uh, I don't know how that would look in terms of... Well, what we know right society. now is, Okay, in the reality... For Blue and White to form a coalition, they have to join with Likud because they don't have any numbers, unity government. Many people think that because we're in a corona crisis, they have to make a unity government. At they don't the have moment, to do anything. You know, okay. For, to, to, in order to have a functional government, they would have to form a unity government. Right? Yeah. At the moment, the Knesset is shut down. Uh, the, the, that's, not, not, that's not, the, the Knesset's shut down because they can't agree to form an arrangements committee and that the Speaker of the Knesset refuses to convene the plenum to vote. Um, that everyone should read this current piece by Khabib Tagore on the Times of Israel, which he essentially gives an explainer for why the Knesset isn't working right now. And it's blaming both sides and it seems to be rightfully so. Can we summarize what it means that the Knesset isn't working right now? Is Alan with us? Yeah. Uh, I'm here, but I, everything's breaking up, so I'm going to stay. I'd like Alan to do that, if possible, because he's a good explainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, repeat the question, then. Can you summarize what it means that the Knesset is shut down and why? So, um, I'll try uh, but again it's you know it's an unusual situation but Without essentially detail, yeah. Um, the, the, yeah essentially the Knesset is functioning as uh, a um, as a interim Knesset from the last election um, which means that the speaker of the house is still come is still from the is still speaker of the Knesset is still from the Likud party which is actually from three elections ago we're really talking about a year ago when this whole craziness started. Um, so therefore, they're, they're, it's really the Likud is controlling the Knesset, but um, they uh, theoretically or even practically, they could be voted out, right? If the Knesset convenes, um, then the Knesset could vote, and those 61 people can vote to um, change the speaker of the Knesset. 
and bring in someone from the 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 sixty one co- coalition side, right? The blue and so white, while the, uh, the left, and the Arabs. While the coalition is being formed, they have reason to have a certain yes. degree of control of who's the speaker of the Knesset that's going to lead exactly. the making of the new rules. Exactly. And then if they replace them, then they right, control the Knesset and then they, uh, different committees can be formed. Even before the coalition is, you know, and the government is solidified, there are committees which control very important parts of the government. Well, we don't have to go into all of them, but one can imagine, right? And, just from military to budgets to all kinds of things that can be that can be uh, convened that can have a very important effect on the country and it's that those details of government that we often don't see in the news and don't talk about but actually where the real things are happening um, and making the government wheels uh, wheels spin. Um, One of the key the ones Knesset being can, speaker, can a prime, passing a law that a prime minister can't serve while facing trial. Right, exactly, and that's uh, obviously where it's boiling down to. But, um, but they can't in, in even the get picture, together to pass Knesset. laws because there's no arrangements committee. That's right. what I was in other words, all the, all the functioning of the Knesset happens within the within the, within the parliament. But the speaker of the Knesset is the one who ultimately decides whether the Knesset convenes or not. And it's somewhat of a, you know, he has ultimate authority, and let, and that uh, so basically because. There, they, uh, this it's, political battle going on, and and the, and the Likud doesn't want to lose the Knesset. Clearly, the Parliament, he's not convening it, and that's now going to be being challenged in the courts, I believe. But the uh, legal advisor why? just came out and said that he can't prevent if the majority of the Knesset wants to convene on a topic, he can't really prevent them from doing that, and that it should convene next week. Yeah, because yeah, I didn't but, see that most updated. Yeah, that'll take time, though. That takes time. Hey, so, be, sorry, what did you want to say? Basically, Blue and White is saying we want to get control of that speakership because we have 61 thumbs up to form a coalition, and Likud is saying we will not... Not to Julie form Edelstein, a coalition. The speaker is saying we won't step down. No, the, it's the 61 agreeing that they want to replace the speaker of the Knesset. Right, right. Exactly. and Yuli Edelstein is saying no. Right, uh, because speaker, once that happens, right, 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 exactly. Because you, you don't have to replace the speaker of the Knesset until there's a new government. But right, um, right. can uh, obviously, speaker of Knesset is a very, very powerful position in the government um, that usually goes to the ruling coalition party, <laughs> um, and I think always. Uh, so that's. Uh, you know, that's kind of uh, another step. Now, of course, this is all happening within the guise of a, a, a you know, uh, a challenge, a, sorry, an, an emergency situation that the, gov- that the country hasn't experienced probably since the Yom Kippur War. Um, so uh, it's all very, uh, I would say, frustrating for me as the little guy. Citizens. Well, as a little guy, we're used to in times of crisis, whether it's the six-day war, the seventy-three war, or any crisis, we're used to the politicians saying, "Look, we're rising above partisanship and forming unity coalitions that work together." And here, we're in this major crisis, and they can't get together and agree on who's going to be the speaker that'll set the conversation to set the plans going of how to address it. Yeah. Well, there's two issues. One is the speaker, and then one is the arrangements committee that can, if blue and white gets a majority on the arrangements committee then and they have the speakership 
then they can propose a law, all these anti-BB laws, which is Likud is what's proposing. But what... Um, but I would say that that's, that's very frustrating, again, in the sense that we're, 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 we're in an emergency crisis situation, and wherever you hold on the BB spectrum, on the government spectrum, it, it, and from both sides, it's clearly a time where unity is is it demanded. I mean, you have to rise above. I, I feel like I said it before, and this is why I feel like the politicians are continue, continuing to be politicians as opposed to being leaders. Leaders are able to put these, you know, take a time out of their politics and and get together to try and solve the biggest crisis ahead of you. I don't know. And I'm, and I'm throwing that out at all sides, not just. Correct. So putting that side. issue aside of should they be prioritizing unity over the political battle, which I don't think you're going to get a lot of argument, anyone arguing yeah. with you. <laughs> do you think there is a clear right or wrong side in this argument or do both sides of the argument have valid, uh, valid arguments? There's this Likud side saying, don't switch horses in midstream. Let's hold on to what it is and then work within our framework. You have the 61 saying, no, we have to switch so that we can work out based on the new scenario. Is there a clear, just purely theoretical, if there wasn't a crisis, do you think one side has the facts and the, and the logic on their side? Or do they both have reasonable arguments? Well, I think they both have... I think they both have half reasonable arguments. I think um, the majority of the Knesset should be able to switch the speaker without a doubt. Um, but they, there should definitely be a fast agreement to form committees to solve the emergency issue of Corona. And blue and white seems to be refrained from having those committees being formed uh, because of the sticky math uh, that if the committee is less than 10 and if it's eight or nine, it seems to be the math is in the favor of the right block versus the blue and white block, but if it was an odd number above 10, the math goes in the favor of blue and white. If you read Khabib's piece, he explains how that math works because the numbers of the blocks are so similar. And it's based yeah, but on you're the fact resolving the answer. You're resolving, how you, you're resolving how you think the issue should be settled. No, I think there could be a speaker. I think that they can switch the speaker so it can be mixed, so it can be a blue and white person, and I think they should have the arrangements committee be even five and five, um, so they can solve this thing together. So you have a little bit of unity, uh, even if we don't get to a government. At least they can do it now. That would seem to make sense. So both sides win. I think what you're saying makes sense, and I think it's a reasonable solution. But I'm just asking a separate question. Well, I'm a teacher, is, not a politician. If I'm asking as a teacher now, I'm asking you in your roles as teachers, if this wasn't a crisis moment in history would you, would you be able to argue for either side that they're making a good case that i i think i think if there was not a crisis I think, I think yeah i think you could make valid arguments on either side about what's best what's the best system for handling this i think you could i think the issue is that's not where we are right I mean, to me it doesn't uh, yeah, to me, it doesn't matter what it would be without the crisis because we are in crisis and we're in a terrible crisis. And and uh, so in crisis, you have to deal with the crisis not and put the politics aside. So that's why, it's, you know, um, yes, if there were not in a crisis, yeah, it seems re it would seem reasonable. You could get rid of the, you know, there doesn't seem any reason why you, the parliament couldn't do that. And if we weren't, you know, 
but we are now in crisis. And I feel like right. uh, that that's no, what I, I should be focused on. I just want to and I don't. The, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I also feel like a, a little bit what also what um, uh, what we shared with on the on the last po uh, podcast about the corona and who managing the crisis. I, I, you know, you have the people in the departments, right? The head of the health, the head of the the uh, um, uh, economic um, departments, and you know they're they're all managing. They're all professionals who are doing it. And I'm not so sure it would look how it would look differently if there were different people. At, at the head, I mean, clearly Netanyahu, who has been the head of the country for ten years, there's there's benefit in that. But I think that, like a lot of the, it, doesn't feel like to me the decisions are. You know, there's a lot of go blaming back and forth. These are political decisions being made. They're not. They're going back and forth. I, you know, it seems like both sides are you trying to use the politics of this for their own agenda. That's what politicians do, and that's what they're doing. Everyone, um, right. But it seems to me that those people who those people who are really like <laughs> coming up with the models and the, and trying to uh, help navigate it are not going to change, you know, in the in the, in the short term at least, right? Well, that's why the I head think of the, it, the health department, yeah. That's why I think from like an Israeli to use the Israeli term tachlis. I don't know how you say tachlis in it. Very practical, just a purely nuts and bolts. Practical. The sections of government that have to address the crisis are working, and they'll work no matter who it is. But for the sense of national morale right. and calm, like we're watching the prime minister every night. Right. Uh, and I think, I think he's inarguably, I don't think anybody's saying he's doing a bad job. Some nights he looks more tired than others. But I, yeah. think, I think that in a, in, a, in a moment of crisis, you have the nuts and bolts practicals, but you also really do have issues of morale. Yeah. And so to me, the idea of switching now uh, and I'm saying this is not a BV voter. The idea of switching that now seems really problematic. Crazy. So we should we we should be keeping as much of the status quo as we can, in my opinion. No matter how good your right. arguments are on either side, let's keep let's keep that same voice, the same voice, and work within that system. Sure. Everything else should be suspended. All the backs and forths, all the rules, all the everything. I think that's the only sane thing to do. You know, FDR's fireside chats during the Great Depression. I think BB's really good at yeah. it. I don't right. think Gantz will be as good at it. Well, he's not the best communicator. BB is the ultimate communicator. So hey, good. Also, you have to. You're, it's a learning curve. I mean, to come in and yeah. start having to like learn the job in the crisis. That's like you know, that's not a simple yeah. thing. Yeah, so the games being played, I think, are the expense of Israeli esprit de corps and morale. And I assume they'll get over it because it's just so obviously unhelpful. I, Am I wrong? I, I think what needs to just be pointed out are the dangers of constitutional crisis and not having a government for a year and going through three elections and then this pandemic happening. It's... It really happened at the worst time. Yeah. Now, we are in a serious constitutional crisis, uh, serious lack of faith in um, you know political system, and then this pandemic happening. Yeah, well, that's what yeah. malpractice, malpractice leads to malpractice and leads to deeper problems. And, and I mean, constitutional guess, crisis, but I don't want to quibble on the terminology, but whatever. And, and I guess, and I, mean, I, guess uh, I mean, you know, throw into that, I mean, which 
people may or may not be aware of outside is listeners outside of Israel is that Israel start using digital tracking um, for people who have been in proximity to those who've been infected, which is clearly a major step in um, individual rights and privacy and those are you talking about in this crisis and in a, in a, you know, in a governmental crisis and, and, a, and, and um, faith in the system and all those things. And those are, are, are red lines that are hard to uh, negotiate. Well, what you really want you go is, over them. You want a sober mandated working body to work out those issues and deciding yeah. intelligently where to draw the line which is exactly Benji's point, which is if you're, exactly. if you're screwing up the system and, and you're malpracticing and we, when a crisis hits is when you really need that kind of uh, stable basis to make decisions going forward. And we don't really have that right. in a healthy, helpful way. Right. right. Especially blue and white's whole reason to exist is to replace BB. And if they decide yeah. to work yeah. with them, their identity is completely gone. I honestly think politically, aside from just the, what you, everything we've been talking about is just like good, policy but just on a political level if blue and white tries to switch out bb now they will lose they will be destroyed because the people aren't going to stand for it yeah i'm ready except, except that we're not allowed to have we're not allowed to have protests because we're not allowed to get together can't get out of the house they're tracking our phones yeah but that's the guys who want to stay in so you never know like they'll all so of a sudden you- the world will change quickly <laughs> we only have a few minutes, minutes left. Are you guys scared about Israel's democratic stability moving forward? I would say I'm, I wouldn't say scared. I wouldn't use the word scared. I would use the word concerned. I'm concerned about democracy in general. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, uh, in concerned. general, we're in a democracy recession, but do you think this is a moment of crisis for Israel's democracy? Well, or is it I just mean, a of, bad as, glitch that they have to get as, over? We're in a crisis as, before, it's just amplifying it. As you, you know, yeah, and 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 these kinds of situations can tweak systems one way or the other, can push them on one way or the other. As you've noted, as you've mentioned it many times, Mike, in this uh, podcast, and we've spoken about a lot. That anyway, the whole Western world, the whole world is in a shift in terms of democracy and national identities and how we think that with all the polarization. So uh, uh, a crisis like this, worldwide global crisis like this. Can can push it in in different ways, and some of the some of those ways can be can be dangerous. We don't know how they're going to go. We don't know what the end of it's going to be. But economic with if it brings in economic collapse, which again we don't know. I'm not saying it is, um, but it, it, historically, when those these kinds of things that push societies over, and in the sense of global, can so I'm concerned that it'll push it in a direction that we don't want to go. Can I ask you? We have five minutes left. Can right. you read that David Rothkopf quote? Oh, the whole thing? I think so. It wasn't that long. I don't think it'll take us five minutes. So the David Rothkopf, um, if people are familiar with him, he's a, a journalist, uh, uh, a, a professor-ish <laughs> um, kind of dude. Um, he's, uh, he's, uh, he has his own, uh, he's also has his own cold podcast uh, um, world um, called The Deep State. You can check him out there. Um, so this is a, a book he wrote in 2017. It's called The Great Questions of Tomorrow. And uh, in the introduction, he's talking about a conversation he had with his father when he was, uh, when he was a student, um, when he, in the 19, early 1970s, when 
he had just seen a documentary about the possibility of global nuclear war and what would happen after global nuclear war. And he was very upset. And he mentioned to his father, and this is, a, and his father responded to him. And then that set him off on a whole track of thinking. So, so his father, he paused for a moment and stared out into the distance. Well, he said calmly and with a slight trace of Viennese accent, you know, a hundred million people, a third of the population of Europe died during the 14th century of bubonic plague. The result was Renaissance. The Renaissance represented a civilization watershed. It produced changes of scope and profundity that touched every aspect of human lives. The nature of states and the rules that governed kings and kingdoms, the relationship with the church, the fundamental tenets of religious belief, the nature of work and of economics, the nature of war and of peace, even the basic philosophies with which societies embrace regarding the role of individuals, individual rights, the nature of the social contract, the very purpose of civilization would be rethought and changed forever. It was an upheaval that for Europe and ultimately the world was epical. How was the seemingly distant past, a time that for us is depicted only in the yellowing pages of books and in the cracked images of centuries of old frescoes, have any relevance in this era of virtual reality, big data, mapping the genome? This is now David Rothkopf talking about his dad? Yeah. And an entire world that seemingly has its glued to glowing screens. As was the case during the 14th century, we too are living in what might be described as the day before the Renaissance. An epical change is coming, a transformational tsunami on the horizon. And most of our leaders and many of us have our backs to it. We're looking in the wrong direction. Indeed, many of those in positions of power and their supporters are so actively trying to cling to the past. And we can almost hear their fingernails clawing at the earth as they try to avoid accepting the inevitable and momentous changes to come. Technological shifts will only be a part of the cascading disruptions associated with the new era. As history shows, these shifts will, in turn, change human behaviors, open new eras to human understanding, enable new forms of creative expression, empower new means of economic activity, and inspire new thinking about the way lives and government and businesses should be organized. These changes will empower the reweaving of the fabric of our lives, much as the steam-powered looms of the Industrial Revolution, not only with the textiles, but with the lives of workers. The rise of the new middle class, the empowerment of unions, the recasting of politics, the remaking of the relationship associated with colonialism, the shifting of the power of nation states, and so many other changes. In every area of our lives, whether we are rich or poor, residents of a great city or a desolate region, untouched by a technology, it seems certain that disruptions on a similar scale are coming. Indeed, there so are we're on a bumpy beginning. road. We're on a bumpy road to a better future. Uh, that's you know that's the basic idea. And the, the idea is you know that is history. History is uh, ups and downs, and the downs bring us to better highs. If we could say it in, uh, in you could so we're, say, at, uh, we're out of time. A, a Hasidic. I just want to say it in a, in a Hasidic way, right? In the Hasidic way, you read the, you read the Litzorah going down in the in the need to go up. So, I mean, but thank you down, guys. Be difficult. Yeah. So buckle up. It's going to be bumpy, but we'll get there. God willing. God willing. Thank you guys. Thank you, Benji. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Mike. Bye bye. Bye.